the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Law Offices of Selwyn Whitehead is a debt relief agency under federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking debt relief under the United States Bankruptcy Code. This is Selwyn's Law. Every week at this time, we get to hear from Selwyn Whitehead. She's not just an attorney at law. Selwyn knows her stuff and doesn't shy away from the truth, even when it's ugly. Her Bay Area practice focuses on helping her clients to manage their wealth through estate and tax planning, to managing their debt through reconstruction or bankruptcy. And now, it's time for Selwyn's Law. Good day and welcome once again to Selwyn's Law. My name is Selwyn Whitehead and I'm a California Bar Admitted Attorney and I'm also a Bankruptcy Law Certified Specialist who's been certified by the State Bar of California's Board of Legal Specialization. In addition to my JD, I hold a couple of master's degrees in law. That is to say, I'm both a master of the laws of taxation and a master of the laws of intellectual property. And because of my education, my training, my experiences, my life's observations, and my lifelong interest in business and money and finance and the creation, preservation, and transfer of wealth within families and communities, including tribal communities, and the roles that these particular aspects of economics play in the lives of everyday people like you and me, I primarily practice bankruptcy law. I also practice the related fields in my overall financial practice, including debt wealth management, estates and trusts, real estate, and of course, taxation law. Now, with these areas of law as my reference point, that is to say, as they relate to the personal, familial, community, and small business aspects of finance, I've spent the greater part of the nearly past 40 years, both before and after getting my license to practice law, fighting for the economic empowerment, the economic independence, and the economic autonomy of women and people and communities of color, including indigenous communities. I also represent plain old vanilla white folks, too, so don't get me wrong. Some of my best clients are white men, but I, you know, I'm just telling you what my focus was in getting involved in uh, this area of financial law. And because I grew up as a military brat and always will be one, and also I helped create another one with my former spouse who was also in the military. As such, I have firsthand knowledge of just how hard it can be sometimes financially and economically for citizen soldiers, sailors, airmen and women and Marines and their families in our sometimes less than patriotic capital-based economic system. This is especially the case after these individuals and their families separate from the service. As such, I also proudly serve veterans of all stripes and in all branches of the military. And I share with you my great love and affection for my late father, who was a soldier. He was a military person for most of his life. But then after he got out of the service, he and my uncle started their own small business. But he always shared with me the importance of giving back to our individual communities and our society as a whole. And he did it through his military service and his service in the community after he became a civilian. 
And but he also insisted that I should not become a soldier <laughs> or in any way join the military because of my inquisitive nature and my need to understand the hows and whys of things before I'd agree to do. <laughs> and that was just about everything. I was, my dad said I came out of the womb asking, why come is that? <laughs> and so he felt that made me incompatible with the the sometimes need if you're a service member to just follow orders and without questions but he did suggest to me that I could uh, serve in the military in quotation marks as a Department of Defense civilian and I could use my inquisitive analytical nature to be an analyst in whatever job I was able to obtain in the Department of Defense and that way you know <laughs> I wouldn't be susceptible to ending up in the brig or the stockade for insubordination <laughs> if I was in uniform and so I'm glad I took my dad's advice uh, and on top of having a wonderful father who helped steer me in the right direction whenever he had the opportunity and I would listen, I had the great fortune to both know and spend a great deal of time and actually became great friends with both my maternal and paternal grandmothers, both of whom survived the great four or the four great economic challenges of the last century. That is to say, the Great Depression, World War II and its privation and the systemic racism and misogyny that continues through into our society today. And as these women helped raise me and always loved me and shared with me the great stories of their grandparents who raised and loved them in the post-Reconstruction Jim Crow South that seems to be trying to come back, it was out of my great love and respect for these women who are always with me in spirit, urging me on, along with my dad, to, to do the right thing, that when the situation is right, through my current chosen profession in the law, I'm sometimes able to at least attempt to vindicate the rights of seniors and the disabled who find themselves the targets of, and unfortunately more and more the victims of some of the most pernicious forms of disabled adult and elder financial abuse that you could ever imagine that seems to be running rampant in our very greedy society today. So the purpose of Selwyn's Law, in case you haven't guessed it, is to discuss the law related to your money and more probably than not these days, the lack thereof or an insufficient amount thereof and your overall finances and what you may need to consider to protect or reclaim or rehabilitate your or your family's or your small business's financial health, wealth, and money-related well-being as I understand these concepts in a non-threatening, in this non-threatening educational form. However, I must once again ask you to please note that this show doesn't provide any legal advice, nor am I developing an attorney-client relationship with anyone within the sound of my voice. Voice. Instead, this show strives strictly to serve as an educational forum for the exchange of information that might be helpful to you as you begin your search for more detailed information that's tailored to your specific set of facts and circumstances and hopefully provide you with at least a general outline of some of the key issues that can help you seek out and find the qualified professional help I believe you need if you're having a legal issue that intersects with your overall finances and or your assets, but especially your debt. So today we're going to continue today's topic, Bankruptcy 101. Uh, what is bankruptcy? Why bankruptcy is important and necessary in our economy? And just how does it work? And who are the key players in the process? 
Now, we've been stuck on creditors for the last few weeks because I took a detour last time to discuss one of my most favorite subjects, federalism, of which I believe a well-run bankruptcy court is a prime example because the court manifests, the bankruptcy court manifests the melding together of the various distinct parts of our United States Constitution with the legitimate rights and powers of our individual state legislatures and their constitutions to create statutes concerning the laws of debtors and creditors that are used to govern the conduct, right, and responsibility we, the people, who mostly live in states. As an aside, I've heard from so many of you who would like to learn more about our Constitution and how it works, and so we will focus on that next time. I have a a really great graphic that I'd like to share with you all about how I see the Constitution working in our federal process. But getting back to creditors, (laughs) creditors of various classes are the individuals and businesses, entities to whom a debtor, the debtor or, or plural debtors in bankruptcy, owe money to or some form of equity or something of value and which as a result of the debtors defaulting on her debt obligation, her promise to repay her creditor or creditors, the creditors such as her landlord or uh, the uh, her subcontractors who she, she owes money to, or the people that build and maintain the product that she resells, or her mortgage holder, they rightly want to get repaid. So again, what is it that provides the basis for the protection of creditors in bankruptcy? What property rights, because again, we're talking about their property rights, their Money, that's a that's a, 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 a property. Uh, so what property rights, guarantees, or afforded creditors under the United States Bankruptcy Code? Well, one is the due process and taking clause of the Fifth Amendment. Um, as we've discussed in the past, the bankruptcy clause found in the United States Constitution at Article 1 that deals with Congress, Section 8, Clause 4, grants the Congress, grants the legislative branch, the authority to make uniform laws on the subject of bankruptcy throughout the United States. However, this power, like the other great substantive powers granted to Congress via our operating document, the United States Constitution, They're subject to the Fifth Amendment, also part of our Constitution, specifically the takings clause of the Fifth Amendment, uh, which prohibits the taking of private property without just compensation. As stated in a famous Supreme Court case that I'll paraphrase here, Justice Brandeis said, the Fifth Amendment commands demands that however nations need, private property shall not and even for a wholly public use without just compensation to the party from whom we're taking it. If the public interest requires and permits the taking of property of individual mortgagees, that's the banker, in order to relieve the necessities of individual mortgagors, that's the individual that took out the mortgage or usually a human being, resort must be be had to a proceeding by eminent domain. 
so that through taxation, the burden for all of us, the burden for, of relief for that individual mortgagor is borne by the public and not just by the creditor. Likewise, the due process clause of the Fifth Amendment also serves to protect secured creditors in bankruptcy. And there's a case called Wright versus Union Central Life Insurance Company and property rights do not gain any absolute inviolability in a bankruptcy court because created or protected by state law. Most property rights are so created and protected, but if Congress is acting within its bankruptcy power, it may authorize the bankruptcy court to affect the property rights, provided the limitations of due process of the due process clause are observed. So when we come back, we're going to continue the discussion of today's topic, one of which many of you have asked me to discuss again, how bankruptcy works for creditors and how does it protect their rights. But first, we'll take a short break and I'll see you on the other side. Now back to Selwyn's Law. Once again, your host, Selwyn Whitehead. Welcome back to Selwyn's Law as we continue our discussion of today's topic, Bankruptcy 101, what is bankruptcy, why is bankruptcy important and necessary in an economy such as ours, how does it work, and how? who are the key players? And again, we're going to continue uh, our focus on, I consider the key players to be the debtor, and I've spent a couple of weeks talking about you know, where and why they're important. And it's basically to let us keep individuals who come upon financial distress. How do we reclaim them and let them come back into the economic fold and use a fresh start so that they can continue to be productive members of our society and have the economic well wherewithal to do so? The other major player are the creditors. Uh, those are the individuals who lent money, uh, have uh, or owed something of value via judgment or whatever. Uh, so it's a balancing act between the debtors and the creditors. And so we're focusing on the creditors again. Now, before the break, we were looking at how the Fifth Amendment due process and takings clause come into play. But I wanted to add one more uh, aspect of um, the Fifth Amendment, how it comes into play for creditors. Congress itself acknowledged the Fifth Amendment limitation when it enacted the adequate protection provision of the bankruptcy code to require compensation for the restriction on secured creditors' rights with respect to a debtor's use of their collateral. As such, bankruptcy laws intersect with the Fifth Amendment to protect secured creditors and prevent an unbridled taking of their secured property interest during the bankruptcy process without being adequately protected. So let me break that down. If you um, own a piece of real estate that you're using to um, derive income, say rents, so the, the way the bankruptcy process is set up, you have to provide the secured creditor who has a lien on your income property. You're basically using his or her or its money 
for your personal use to pay your bills. And so you have to adequately protect that uh, creditor from, um, you know, you being able to maybe abscond with or sell the property without their consent. You have to get the court's uh, uh, the bankruptcy court's permission to use the collateral of that particular secure creditor. Just want to make that clear. Another uh, clause of our constitution comes into play in the bankruptcy process to protect creditors. And that's the due process clause of the 14th amendment. The, the, the 13th, 14th, and 15th amendment or are what is known as the Reconstruction Amendments. They came at the close of the Civil War. The idea was to make uh, uh, former slaves full members of our society. But it also looked at other things about how was the government going to repay its debt to those countries and individuals that underwrote um, uh, uh, the Union side, the winning side of the Civil War. So the 14th Amendment... Um, also has a due process clause um, that, among, among other things, no state shall deprive any person of their life, liberty, or property without due process of law. So again, this reinforces the idea if the bankruptcy court is going to um, limit or reduce the amount that a creditor, be that he or she secured or whatnot, they are entitled to at a minimum notice and an opportunity to be heard in a debtor's bankruptcy case, okay? So the Supreme Court stated that at a minimum, the word of the due process clause require that deprivation of life, liberty, or property by adjudication be preceded by notice and an opportunity for hearing. So, you know, in my practice, just about everything that I do for my um, client, whether they be most of my clients are debtors, but I also represent some creditors. You have to give notice to everybody, especially if they're the debtor. You're going to do this. You you're going to move to you know uh, uh, have a settlement agreement where you're going to pay less to this particular case. You have to have notice, and you have to either set it for a hearing and notify all the creditors so they can come and say, "Hey, I don't agree with that. That sucks. I want to change this." No, um, someone's client is is full of it. So you know you have to give them an opportunity to come in and plead their case. And if you do things without notice, they likely will not um, withstand the challenge of the creditor and or the trustee involved in the case. So notice and an opportunity to be heard by everybody in a bankruptcy is very important. Now, the content of the notice in the hearing is enshrined in the bankruptcy code. Uh, the bankruptcy code requires debtors and other parties in interest to provide ample notice before taking an action that could affect a party's due process right. So in essence, the 5th and the 14th Amendments provide the basis for creditors' protection in bankruptcy. But how are those protections manifest? How does a creditor get paid in a debtor's bankruptcy case? Well, what a creditor gets paid depends on its class in a hierarchy, a pecking order of repayments. Uh, that's part of the bankruptcy process. And if a creditor gets paid, gets repaid, it depends on the viability and the value of the debtor's assets that are part of her bankruptcy estate. 
So there is a public policy-based hierarchy, uh, I call it a pecking order, in the bankruptcy code and in case law that dictates priority and in which particular creditor gets paid according to his or her class. And this pecking order is Congress's proxy of how much a creditor gets paid, if at all, in a debtor's particular bankruptcy case. The first position are individuals and entities that hold administrative claims against the debtor and her bankruptcy estate. So who are these administrative claims? Well, there are court-appointed parties that tend to make the whole bankruptcy process work. They are the various flavors of court-appointed trustees and court-appointed professionals and the debtor's counsel, like me. I'm uh, Mine would have be an administrative claim. Yes, when I file a case for a debtor, a client, I have to seek out and obtain an order from the bankruptcy court appointing me uh, for my client in order for me to be paid from the proceeds of the debtor's bankruptcy estate. And even if someone else, say a family member or a friend of the debtor pays my initial retainer, I like all the other uh, debtor's counsel, I still must disclose that fact and the circumstances of my fees to the court and the other parties uh, who may feel an objection, such as, you know, any real or potential conflict of interest that I might have uh, with my client. Uh, this because the whole bankruptcy process must be transparent uh, to the parties and the public. So administrative claimants get first crack at whatever assets there are. The second in second position after the administrative claimants are secured creditors, such as entities holding notes and deeds of trust or some lien or some UCC filing or some statutory lien or a levy, such as a mortgage or a deed of trust or the pink slip on a debtor's car or the unpaid portion of some executory contract backed up by security interests, such as a defaulted commercial lease, or a tax lien or a levy from the Franchise Tax Board here in California, or wherever your jurisdiction is, or from the Internal Revenue Service, our federal taxing authority. Unless there's something special about these secured uh, debts that will allow the debtor to modify or strip down or avoid some or all uh, some portion of the indebtedness, um, the, these liens or these rights to repayment or these attachments to the debtor's property pass through the bankruptcy. So it's sometimes best to try to work them out within the bankruptcy, because if you don't and you go through all of the machinations of going through the bankruptcy process, those liens and those obligations are still there. In third position are creditors with unsecured uh, claims against the debtor, such as the family, friends, or relatives, or credit card companies uh, that the debtor has borrowed money from and has some kind of repayment obligation. Depending on the type of bankruptcy, the debtor's files coupled with the debtor's overall financial situation at the time of filing, including her ability to fund some of her reasonable living expenses, some of these unsecured debts will not be paid. And that's just tough Noogies, as we used to say when we were kids. And so it's based on the fact that a creditor should have enough sense to decide whether he wants to be or she wants to be an unsecured creditor. And if she chooses to be an unsecured creditor, 
she goes to the bottom of the line. Now, one group of unsecured creditors have priority, and those are the taxing authorities and domestic support obligations. So I'm going to, I think that that's a really fulsome discussion of creditors' rights in bankruptcy. Uh, Please note that creditor that commences a debtor-creditor relationship as an unsecured creditor may become a secured creditor when after the debtor falls into default by suing the debtor and then getting a judgment. So that's why it's really important for both the debtor and creditors to have competent counsel to help them make right decisions that might, you know, help them weather this process that's, as I've said before, full of opportunities for trouble. So we're going to leave it there for now, but always in closing here at Selwyn's Law, we always want to stay on the right side of the law, including the laws of bankruptcy and their dual roles of balancing the competing roles and needs of debtors and creditors in bankruptcy. So until next time, be safe, take care. Bye for now. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Selwyn's Law. Remember, the law office of Selwyn Whitehead is a designated debt relief agency under the federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking relief under the bankruptcy code. When it comes to your finances and your rights, seek no other than the law office of Selwyn Whitehead. Selwyn is your go-to finance attorney, specializing in estate planning, wealth management, bankruptcy, tax, and real estate law. In other words, Selwyn knows her way around the dollar, and your rights are protected by our laws. Protect your money. Know your rights. Partner with Selwyn Whitehead. For immediate assistance, or if you have questions, call 510-633-1276, 510-633-1276, or go to selwynwhitehead.com. The preceding paid program is sponsored by the Law Office of Selwyn Whitehead, who is solely responsible for its content. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.